Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. would win an Oscar for playing a comic book character. Ooh. That's not the Joker. Hmm. Hmm. That's tough, man. That's tough. Um, the funny, the one you skip over too, but that definitely fits the pattern as well. You've got Jared Leto just coming off an Oscar win and then playing the Joker. Oh, that's you right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yep. it's like, Two people winning the Oscar, to, and also a person who had just won one at getting to play the Joker as his mm-hmm. anointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's wild. Mm. I don't know. Do you think there's um? Do you think there's a comic book role aside from the Rhino? Aside from his infamous turn as the Rhino in Amazing Spider-Man Two, that uh, Giamatti would be good for? He's a dude where it's like, ah, how does he not have an Oscar, man? right 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 yeah you make a good point i feel like everybody knows that they messed up with him and it's like at at this point if he just does one really oscary role i think he'll be he'll be back to the top of contention Hmm. didn't you feel that way yeah he's like one of those guys yeah and we're thinking specifically comic books right i'm like i'm like yeah like what would you have him play like the blue beetle or something like i have no idea (laughs) booster gold I can't think of anybody. I mean, like, my first thought is, like, Paul Giamatti as the Beast. Yeah. Do you think he fits Ooh. that? Possibly. Yeah, but Possibly. I don't know if that's, like, an yeah. Oscar-worthy, like, maybe supporting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or are we yeah. talking best actor? 
<laughs> I think it's got to be best, best actor. Act. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. <sighs> All right. I don't know. Who are you thinking? I don't know. That's why I asked you. God damn it. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that <laughs> last week. It would be so funny. Oh, it's a series, so that wouldn't work. I was just thinking how funny it would be if after all this time, Ethan Hawke wins an oh Oscar for playing God. a comic book Dude, character. okay, so did you see the trailer for Moon Knight? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I saw it. And I was like, oh, okay, this looks interesting, whatever. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. The best part is clearly looking at Ethan Hawke and being like, you know, a couple of years ago, you didn't want to do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now you're doing this. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Yep. He's been, he's been roped I, right in. I wonder how he feels about it. Um... I mean, conflicted. I'm sure. You know what? I'm sure that was fine to work on. It just, uh, you know, it, it does make me think. Though this is kind of a dark thing, but um, like the third lead in Moon Knight mm-hmm. was this guy, um, Gaspard Lewell. Oh yeah, who, he uh, recently passed away. Yeah, like a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. as of this recording, he died in like a skiing accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think right after they wrapped yep. the first season. Yep, which is crazy. Yeah, but I was thinking about how. Similar to the Joker, where the Joker is this character who's been done many times, and there are many different renditions of the character who people love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hannibal Lecter is another one uh, where it's yes. like he's been portrayed many times, and almost all of the performances are really beloved, mm-hmm. like have huge fans, have tons of acclaim. Mm-hmm. The only one that doesn't is Gaspard Uel's That's right. Oh, as Hannibal that's right. in Hannibal Rising. Hannibal Rising. Mm-hmm. Which is like this weird stepchild to the franchise. Yep. is literally only made because uh, Dino De Laurentiis wanted to hold on to the Hannibal rights. And so uh, he had Thomas Harris like write something, just like some bullshit so they could make a movie. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's unfortunate. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. But no, I feel bad. It's just like, that's such a shitty epitaph like everyone's least favorite mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. you know that's what he's what most else? known for though isn't it yeah. yeah that's unfortunate man no I'm sorry I brought the mood down there fuck you really did <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's a somber occasion we're gonna be talking about death we're gonna be talking about mm-hmm. uh mortality mm-hmm. and also one's relationship with spirituality oh, yeah. and god and all of that we're getting into all the metaphysical stuff today yeah we might so, as well you know, it's a it's a somber episode it's gonna be a very respectful episode because you know this is a, we're all we're all in mourning right now we really are yeah mm-hmm. this is a very special yeah. episode of goat season yes. we're all on our way out act accordingly are we doing this let's do it all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to goat season we are so happy to have you with us today This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is the greatest of all time, Mr. Alex Sinesi. I just achieved GOAT status. Like today. Two-thirds of the way through our second miniseries. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Incredible. How do you feel? feels great man honestly it, it it feels a little overdue so you know i'm just like resting comfortably in this new status <laughs> y'all should have seen the the subtle inflection of shade that came across mr philip mitchell's face as i said that it was it was just very finely tuned and yet unmistakable 
It's a status uh, that can be revoked, and that's all I'm going to say. Oh, mm-hmm. it's like diplomatic immunity. It really is. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, we're terrible. So, yeah, today we are getting into another two episodes of Lost. We are going to be talking about Deus Ex Machina. And what is the other episode that we're talking about today? Do No Harm. Do No Harm. Thank you. There we go. Yeah, two interesting episodes. It's sort of a case where, like, similar to Solitary feeding into Raised by Another, Claire's flashback, this is another case where it feels like a sort of soft two-parter on Lost. I mean, there's a lot of, like, story connective mm-hmm. tissue going on, but it it's a really interesting example of the show's serialization where they can flow pretty seamlessly through a story across these two episodes, which have very different structure, very different flashbacks very mm-hmm. different sort of character focus and yet you can watch them as like a two-part thing like right. kind of as a single mm-hmm. movie i think at some point in previous recordings i had said that i thought that the flashbacks were working in a specific chronological order and now i'm not entirely sure because these two made me mm-hmm. wonder if they're still moving backwards in time or if they are moving from past moving towards present the lock flashback is definitely moving backwards right exactly but the jack flashback we don't really know we don't really know where it is yeah which kind of fits with it with the material of it itself it's sort of a mysterious time in jack's life as uh an emotional context as well we don't know where this fits in with the character as we know him now but i guess we'll get into that with the second one yeah you're right um, so Deus Ex Machina is a John Locke episode. This is, at least in my opinion, the first time that you start to see the branching between Locke and Jack, which is Jack using a very scientific, orderly process to diagnose Sawyer's uh, farsightedness, while Locke, oh, right. yeah, mm-hmm, while Locke is clearly just relying on premonition and dreams and you know, signs from the supernatural as a way to move forward with life and reach goals. Anyway, the, the episode, it starts with Locke. He's suddenly losing uh, his ability to walk. And so he becomes very, very upset. He's frustrated. They're unable to open the hatch. And so he receives a premonition involving this mysterious woman, a bloodied boon, and a crashed airplane. And he starts to believe that he is being tested by the island. Um, and he pushes deeper into the jungle for more answers. And he's bringing, sort of dragging Boone along with him. Boone's having a crisis of faith, right? He's, he's not completely... He's not completely on board in the way that he was a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, it's interesting how Locke's physical weakness immediately sort of shakes him in his uh, status as an acolyte, where before he was so ready, it seems, to go along with anything, to be mistreated in any particular way. And now that he sees that uh, his demigogue has some sort of actual human frailty to him, it it breaks the spell for a little bit. Yeah, sure does. It's a very creepy like dominant submissive <laughs> kind of interaction going on there oh boy here we're going all right let's move on mm-hmm. so yeah so it, it, boone is not particularly on board with this but they're heading deeper into the jungle in the flashback story we learned that Locke was raised in multiple foster homes as a young person um, and then we get to see him you know as an adult um, working in a department store he meets his biological mother for the first time and this is also the same woman that was in his premonition or dream. They make it very, very clear that she seems to be suffering from some type of like severe mental illness, um, some type of thought disorder, some type of delusion. Um, 
when Locke's mother gives him the name of his birth father, he goes and seeks the man out. They form a relationship, form a bond, and Locke discovers that his father is at the end of his life due to kidney failure. Locke decides to donate his kidney to his father, and as soon as he does that, his dad abandons him. And so back into the current timeline, Locke and Boone, they encounter a crashed, another crashed aircraft, which is the same plane that Locke had dreamed about. At sort of Locke's urging, Boone is the one who he's the, he decides to investigate, and he discovers the remnants of like a drug ring, a drug smuggling operation inside of this plane. He finds a few maps, and unfortunately, um, the plane, um, because it is on a cliff, it, it falls, and Boone, excuse me, Boone is critically injured. Locke brings him back to uh, the rest of the Losties, and he just kind of dips out after that. Um, and so I think the episode ends with Locke at the hatch, distraught, frustrated, and he's crying out to the island for answers, and his faith is sort of rewarded when else a light suddenly comes on um, from inside the hatch, and that's how the episode ends. Good ending. Good cliffhanger. Oh, fantastic ending. For sure. For sure. It, this episode's very heavy on the metaphysical on the symbolism. Uh, I I love how you tied it back, of course, to Sawyer being diagnosed for uh, farsightedness. The idea that, on the other hand, uh, Jack can make the blind see and mm. uh, get rid of, you know, this pounding right. headache, right. this thorn in... Sawyer's uh, side. Exactly. Whereas, on the other hand, with Locke, it's, it's all... Uh, what is the island mm-hmm. telling him to do? What will the island allow him to see? What visions will it give him? Uh, just like operating in a totally different reality. Totally different sphere, these two. Yeah, and so that that, that plays out for the rest of the show, I think, between the two of mm-hmm. them. And you, you got the title, Deus Ex Machina, which is a pretty common like uh, bit of reference, bit of phrasing. I think people are very familiar with it as, uh, you know, as a plot function and narrative, mm-hmm. the deus ex machina, as in the thing that uh, wraps everything up from an external source outside of the plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, the origins of it are just that in kind of medieval, in, in medieval morality plays, mm-hmm. they would literally have a box that had God inside of it. Right. And all of the problems of a particular like narrative would build up and in the climactic scene the characters would simply open the box and god would come out and solve all of their problems yeah and uh so that's um that's where you get the term god out of a machine i love how it's used in this episode though the suggestion that Locke's father Anthony Cooper is God because he's immaculately conceived and he he brings this up jokingly and Anthony Cooper grins and laughs at it but you can tell he's absolutely delighted oh yes he loves it mm-hmm. of being considered God yeah he eats that up <laughs> yeah and then by the end he comes out and disappears after both emotionally and physically wounding his son mm-hmm. and it feels like a reverse deus ex machina or a a bad deus ex machina where god just like blew through the the space you know i didn't even think about that the theater stage and uh just ruined everybody's time yeah he just shows up and he yeah it really is the reversal i did not even catch that he just takes everything and makes everyone's life worse Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah good catch so yeah Locke's mother's name is emily 
Emily Locke. Emily, played by Swoozie Kurtz. Swoozie Kurtz, that's right. So much stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. She's just very unsettling from mm-hmm. her first moment being on screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they use her so well because it's like, even then, you can tell Locke is someone who is. Uh, suggestible who is open to belief and mm-hmm. yet he also immediately clocks that this person is unstable yeah uh it's it's just such a sad thing from it the is jump yeah it's, it's a sad reunion yeah all of it yeah. feels yeah it feels off and it, it doesn't feel great i think I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because this episode feels very very uh, metaphysical um it feels very spiritual as well and I'm wondering, did you have any takes on this episode and maybe the ep- like the show's relationship to religion? Yeah, we've talked in the past about how Lindelof seems he's very interested in investigating faith. And he often, to an almost alarming degree, will dramatize a sort of vulnerable person being brought under the sway of faith and how that can have like a positive effect on them. But uh, this episode is definitely, I think, interrogating it with a lot more skepticism, Mm -hmm. trying to give sort of a a fuller, rounder portrait of how a, say, like a Christian saint, for example, would, from today's perspective, be a figure who is constantly treated with uh, lots of skepticism and, you know, you would constantly be investigating how potentially, like, mentally ill is this person or how how has this person been brought under the sway of something that is dangerous, Mm -hmm. something like that, because you have all of this Christian imagery Mm -hmm. around Locke in this episode. He has this wound that he pulls out of himself and uh, then he's like testing his feet to see if, you know, he still has feelings in his legs and it sort of recalls the stigmata in a way Mm -hmm. and the way that he keeps stumbling through the episode. I think he stumbles three times, you know, it's it's all very heavy on that kind of imagery, but it's done from a perspective where you're like, yeah, but this guy, we, we don't know what sway he's really falling under right this seems very spiritually sus one (laughs) might say absolutely (laughs) i like that it reminded me so much of an old testament story that i had to go back and research and it's the story of abraham choosing to sacrifice his son oh right Right? and so like yes in that story abraham he's got his firstborn son his only son and he's so excited that this is um, his biological son with his his wife. And one of the first things that happens is that like his son reaches, you know, adolescence and God tells him, you have to go kill your son. You have to go sacrifice him. And it's a a test of faith. Abraham has to decide whether or not he's going to kill his his most beloved child. And he is going to do so. But I think in the story, God spares his son, whose name is Isaac. He spares Isaac's life. But in this yeah, this much more twisted version of that story, I feel like Locke is choosing to sacrifice his son Boone in order to receive knowledge or wisdom or insight from the island. And he is driven to do that. And it is much more important for him to receive that gnosis, that knowledge, rather than protect his own son. (laughs) Boone is absolutely just sacrificed in the pursuit of that knowledge that gnosis absolutely it's like just a speed bump really letting like one of his followers blood be shed so that he can 
continue on his vision quest. It's pretty cold shit. Man. It is really cold. Oof. Yeah. I mean, so, so many of the shows that we talk about, and I think all the good shows, the greatest shows are talking about things related to morality, the nature of humanity, you know, what it means to be a human being, and then also familial relationships. And it always seems to come back to fathers and their sons. And so we talked about, you know, last series, Tony Soprano and Christopher Moltisanti. And we've talked sure. about what, um, there's Walter White and, and Jesse. Walter that's White the other one that comes Jesse's up. Yeah. such a mm-hmm. big one. Yeah. yeah. And so this yeah. one is definitely Locke and Boone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I didn't get the fatherly vibe from him before this episode. Mm-hmm. I feel like this was layered in late, but I think it works really well that way that their relationship has been sort of creepy and cultish and uncertain up until this point. And now this father-son thing comes in late and it feels weird. Mm-hmm. And the immediate, yeah, like binding of Isaac and sacrificing of him is uh, right right in line with that. I Absolutely. Think. Oof. That's such a good sequence where Boo is on the plane and it starts to tip. And then when it fucking falls and smashes, it's brutal. It's, ah, I was really impressed just with sort of the show flexing its production capabilities and like building a really good sequence. I I thought the directing in this episode overall was really uh, pretty strong. Yeah. The one scene that I felt wasn't super effective, um, Locke's dream, his vision, I felt like they were going for something really surreal and intense and stylized with that, and it definitely stood out from the rest of the show. Like, that kind of stylized editing and those sorts of choices we haven't really seen much before. Even, like, Claire's dream sequence where Locke has, like, the one white eye and one black eye didn't have quite the same level of sort of, like, Lynchian trappings to it. And I didn't think it worked as effectively as they might have hoped it would. I felt like this director, uh, what's his name, Robert Mandel, who came in and did this episode, I thought he brought a lot of, like, cinematic flair to it, but I didn't think that moment quite came off. But um, overall, I did think the episode was really well-directed. There's a really nice push-in on Locke when his mother comes to talk to him while he's working in that. I believe it's a Costco. Yes, that it feels like that. Sort of repurposed mm-hmm. as another department store, and he's got Mousetrap, yeah. which it's funny, too. Um, just a little aside, but I always thought of Mousetrap as being part of that, like, 90s board game boom, yeah. where there were all these, like, insanely complicated Rube board Rube, games yeah. that had lots of, yeah, like, three-dimensional pieces you had to construct, and then you played this very, like, strange... This game that basically is unrepeatable and cannot be, like, repurposed in any yep. way. It only exists to play this one particular function, like uh, Crossfire, for example. <laughs> that awesome game where you shoot ball bearings at your friends and then cast them into a hell dimension, apparently. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. Uh, but, yeah, like, I always thought of Mousetrap as being along those lines. So I was like, oh, weird. Like, this is a long time ago. And even so, like, Locke's talking about how this was his favorite board game growing up but um mousetrap's actually been around since the 60s i did not know that i didn't either yeah, i, I would have never pegged it as i being thought it was like a old. an 80s yeah, yeah like an, right. early to thought mid it was 80s. like a don't wake yeah. daddy or mm-hmm. something you know yeah. or a hungry hungry hippos but no it, it predates all that so anyway. <laughs> i think the episode is well directed yeah i agree with you i don't quite think that 
the dream sequence is absolutely fine. I think the ending of the episode is probably its strength, which is, yes, Boone being crushed by the plane, Locke struggling to get him back to um, to safety. And then just like the, the way that the director captured the chaos after Locke leaves, I, I think is yeah. very, very well done. Uh, and that, again fucking Giacchino coming in to just like tie everything together with this unbelievable piece of music. This is like, it's a variation on the theme that played at the end of Walkabout when it was revealed that Locke, you know, stood up for the first time on the beach Mm -hmm. um, since his paralysis. But this variation on it is even more grandiose and has this very like sad undercurrent to it. It has a really tragic undercurrent and it's very uh, operatic I, I think it's my favorite piece of music on the show so far interesting i, I thought okay. it was just absolutely incredible okay. millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that is, it's a good episode. I, I think it's one of the better ones from the season, I would say. It does a great job weaving in other myths, other tales that are older than time into something that is recognizable and um and enjoyable yeah yeah something i was thinking about along those lines too i wonder if this was an example of uh lindelof being able to take sort of the demographics and the the assumed audience of a network television show in america and actually weaponize that for this episode because it's like in a way, the networks are always okay with, oh, if you want to tell a story that has, like, Christian overtones, that's fine because that's an audience that is immediately familiar with them. And you can sort of – you can transition into that very seamlessly and they won't bat an eye and no one will feel like you need to explain a bunch of stuff because it's assumed that at least, you know, a large swath of the population is familiar. Exactly. And he uses that to such – interesting effect yeah here yeah where he's immediately able to like interrogate all of these myths you know or interrogate all these uh uh belief structures right <laughs> let's go with that right let's not go with myths right i think the other thing that's interesting is yeah you're right the, the, he is interrogating this in an interesting way because i think Locke is rewarded in, in a show where this is about starting over again being a blank slate reinventing yourself perhaps even redemption Locke makes a decision that's very damnable. Like you could condemn yourself. You're damning yourself to hell by allowing someone else, dragging someone else into your shit and them, you know, them being wounded. But he's rewarded at the end of this, right? 
mm-hmm. um, which I think yeah. is so very interesting. Like he is very clearly rewarded with more knowledge, with more. He's pulled. He's sucked into the he island. Literally sees the sees light. the light. Yes, after mm-hmm. he has dragged someone to their death. Yeah. Right, and that's such a small reward. Yeah, in exchange for such a large sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. But I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it fits with the flashback really well. This flashback was never going to have the same punch, the same impact as Walkabout. And yet, I think the the emotion of it, the way that it deepens Locke's character, the way that it creates even more instances to doubt him. Right. Because you see how emotionally fragile he is now. You see sort of the limits that he was pushed to in his original life and his own daddy issues. I mean, those are really piling up on this show at this point. Oh yes. But everyone's uh, got daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. It uh is it, just I, I thought very, very effective, mm-hmm. very, very well done. One one thing about it, they have Locke get hit by a car, and then they also have him go through this medical procedure that, you know, is uh, traumatic. Right. And I feel like in each case they were teasing, like, oh, is this where Locke right, when he gets paralyzed? paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And in each case it wasn't, and by the end we still don't know how he was paralyzed. Not to spoil anything too much, but I feel like it actually kind of would have been great if Locke's paralysis was a side effect of the kidney The kidney, surgery. that's what I thought. And I, I didn't remember how he was paralyzed, but that's what I thought was going to happen. Well... The way that he's paralyzed, it it's actually such a crazy twist and such a, like, bizarre sort of epic moment mm-hmm. when it happens finally that I kind of felt like they built it up too much. Uh, I kind of felt mm-hmm. like it would have been better long term if they had just resolved it here right. instead of like pushing it off till another flashback like seasons later yeah where it's like we finally see him get paralyzed i i kind of was like hmm they they might have actually like strung it out too much in the flashback structure all right i don't know that's interesting but uh i uh, yeah this this episode i i really think it's a very strong piece of work overall sure. um, the director Mandel. robert mandel yeah it's interesting so he went to the afi conservatory which is like probably the premier directing workshop mm-hmm. in the u.s very competitive and everyone who gets in really gets a chance to make a well-funded well-crafted short film with established actors and it's just a really good way to start your directing career and uh he he made a short film in it called uh, Night at O'Rears that won like the Alfred Hitchcock prize. Oh wow. And then his career kind of it kind of petered out in a weird way. Like he ended up directing these um the FX movies which were like movies about a special effects technician who fakes the death of a mobster to help him get into like witness protection and it's like this kind of cheesy that's weird sort of 80s curio he also did a movie called school ties which was not like particularly well received but it had this like insane cast of people who are about to be famous it had like brendan Fraser, matt damon ben affleck chris o'donnell yeah, and then, like, his last movie was this, like, Tom Berenger action movie called The Substitute, which, dude, look up the summary of that episode. It is insane. Okay. It is so I will. bizarre All right. and kind of racially uncomfortable and oh, weird. Boy. It's basically an action movie about a guy who 
his girlfriend is attacked at her job at a high school. And so he becomes the substitute so that he can go around and kill the various like drug dealers who oh, go boy. there. Oh, and then he ends up confronting an evil principal at the end of it, I think. What? <laughs> yeah, it sounds really bad, actually. Whoa, it stars okay. Tom Berenger. And then they made a bunch of direct-to-video sequels. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was getting into TV directing around the same time. He directed the pilot of the X-Files, which which I thought was a really stylish, well-made episode of TV. It's like not one of the better episodes of the X-Files. Right. Uh, is, you know, just written by Chris Carter. So it didn't have a chance. But um, <laughs> it, uh, I thought it was well put together at least. But yeah, so he was doing some TV. He did in Nash Bridges. So I think that's how Carlton Cuse knew brought him, him in. and, okay. and brought him in. But yeah, his directing career pretty much like petered out in the late 90s. And then this is one of the very last things he directed because he became actually the dean of the AFI Conservatory where he was an alumnus and he held that position for 10 years okay. right after this. So he kind of, yeah, transitioned into, into teaching. Has he done anything since then? No. Oh, wow. No. Okay. No, he's, he's stayed pretty active with the AFI conservatory. He might've directed an episode of TV or two, but okay. it, like it really falls off. So it, this episode, I think just mm. dovetails pretty nicely. Like you said before, into the second episode, the episode following do no harm yeah. which picks up right after the events of deus ex machina so it it's a grisly episode i think it's it's yeah. just it like it's I, I hadn't seen it in years yeah dude. i hadn't seen it in years and so to go back and watch it i just felt really i just felt gross watching the whole thing and i i think that just speaks to the strength of the episode and especially for network television at the time it definitely left me feeling very raw and uncomfortable um, by the end of the uh, end of the episode. Yeah. So we're kind of talking a little bit about the directing in Deus Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. And I think by contrast, this episode, Do No Harm, is also directed by Stephen Williams, who mm -hmm. did All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. Mm -hmm. And I think really between these two is making a strong case for being the best director on Lost. Yep. Because uh, this episode is incredibly well directed. And what I was immediately struck by is how deus ex machina is so much flashier mm -hmm. in its directing and it has this big set piece sequence and it has a dream sequence and it has a lot of flair on it mm -hmm. and yet do no harm moves so incredibly well yep. all the performances are perfectly pitched yep just every single moment leads into the next and it's this just absolute like freight train of incredibly like traumatic material and dramatic moments and all of them land so well yeah and so i was just so struck by how you can have like complicated flashy stuff you can have interesting camera moves but a really great director it, their hand so often just becomes invisible and you're just carried on the emotion of the thing. Absolutely. Which I feel like is how Do No Harm goes. I just think of this episode as a series of very intense close-ups. Yes. You know? Yeah. 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 Because it's just so burned in my mind as that. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the performances. I think that the flashback, although it is well constructed and I think ultimately it, it's just fine. Like I, I don't think it adds anything to the story in the moment like I, th I don't know if it really has if it resonates or has a ripple effect for other episodes later on in the series i just don't think i don't think it's necessary 
for us to know this specific thing about Jack. Right now. <laughs> yeah, we Especially. don't. Yeah, we know yeah. he's an obsessive guy. He's not going to give up. Right. He is driven. He's tortured by, you know, not being good enough, you know, and that's a label that's been placed on him by his father. We already know mm-hmm. this stuff. I don't really see why we needed to understand that within the context of a relationship, specifically his marriage. Yeah, I'll say this. I think this flashback is a clever piece of writing in the sense that at this point, the episodic structure of Lost is so well established. It has to have this A story, B story, C story, plus flashback kind of structure. Mm -hmm. In this case, I think they did a smart thing to say, what is a flashback that in terms of tone will best contrast with our A story? Mm -hmm. Because I actually really... I agree. The flashback in this episode isn't super necessary. It's mm-hmm. not telling us something that we don't already we don't know. know about Jack in terms of his obsessiveness, in terms of his hero complex, in terms of him not letting go. It's a minor revelation that he was married at some point, but it's not that that's like some big missing piece of his his story. Right. But at the same time, these like quiet moments of him sitting in this hotel waiting to get married and like having cold feet is such a good tonal and pacing contrast Mm -hmm. with everything happening on the island it's these weird breathers that still are unsettling yeah because they in their own way have like an unsettled emotional vibe to them and also you know you're about to get back into the horror that's going on on the island and so i actually think for being a flashback where it's like we don't really need a flashback in this episode but we're still going to have one because we haven't broken format yet up to this point. I think it's a very smart use of the flashback within the episode's time. Interesting. Just sort of as a uh, a tonal contrast? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. As okay. just sort of like a tonic chord of like everything is so frantic. The way that Jack is screaming at people, you know, when yeah. he yells at Hurley, like, I swear to God, if you yeah. faint from the sight of blood. <laughs> right. it's it's... Really good. I, dude, Matthew Fox is incredible He's great. in this episode. He is great. I, I'm slowly and somewhat... Uh, oh, you know. oh, you're converting <laughs> to the church I'm, of I'm Matthew Fox. I'm not converting to the church of his character, right. but I'm definitely appreciating the way that he functions in the season a lot more on this watch just because Matthew Fox is so good and because you kind of need somebody who is this stressful overreaching heroic figure and uh, yeah i mean he he fills that role out so well in this episode i mean it's it's actually another really really good jack episode yeah you're absolutely right man yeah the way that hurley is used to um i keep thinking about probably in my opinion the most disturbing shot in the episode which is just of hurley with a plastic sheet separating him from the operating Mm -hmm. space and just yeah like pressing his hands to his his temples and covering his ears and he just cannot stand to hear boone suffer like that and you don't see boone except for this sort of out of focus gauzy figure writhing and screaming and it's so disturbing it's very disturbing oh man yeah oof I mean, so yeah, do no harm. It it picks up right where the previous episode ends. Locke has disappeared into the jungle. um, And basically he has left Jack um, and Son to save Boone's life. Saeed, oh man, just horrible timing. Horrible timing. He has no idea. He's planned this like romantic getaway on the beach for himself and for Shannon. They're gonna, you know, bone. And they have no idea 
that in the caves Boone is clinging onto dear life. So yeah, it's it's that's that's yeah, just I mean, sad. Who could it's know? tragic. Who could and know? No one that would know. Locke yeah, would have led him off a cliff exactly just moments oh before and so i feel so ba- i felt so bad like number one the the island crisis again boone being wrecked essentially and then i just felt so bad anytime that they cut to shannon and saeed because it's like man they just do not know what is going to be waiting for them when they return yeah, yeah so naveen that- andrews has a great little piece of acting when they're returning to the beach in that silent montage where jack has to give them the news yeah where he is grinning with that that glow oh yes of, oh yeah mm-hmm. we just had a great fucking night you mm-hmm. know we just yep. got it done mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh he is just he is just smiling He's so happy when uh when they walk up and it's just it's such a great piece of irony there Ugh. to be like oh you are not at all in the headspace not at uh, all for for what you're about to hear no yeah no. Yeah, and Shannon's great too. Maggie Grace is incredible. Yeah. In the scene where she breaks down over Boone, I was really impressed with her work. The way that she communicated the disbelief of it. The shock, yeah. The initial, like not just immediately being in this overwrought state of sadness, uh, but more the weird thing of like, what am I even looking at here? This is my brother's body. Like I can't process that and that flowing into her crying i thought it it just was extremely believable yeah absolutely yeah and again i have to hand it to stephen williams because it's like that's something i've really noticed more and more about directing where it's like if you have a strong director everyone is going to come off well everyone is going to have good performance moments and have good choices because they have a strong hand at the till like making sure that they all get their opportunities Mm -hmm. and uh, i think it's a really good example of it here in this app so in the flashback we learned again that uh jack was married at some point to a woman who was formerly his patient i think it's just bad vibes bad vibes immediately it just seems like that yeah i don't know why she's giving her like i know toast at the at the rehearsal it's the rehearsal dinner dinner. yeah it feels really strange anyway it is like her being like this whole relationship is built on a shaky emotional foundation (laughs) yep exactly so i think it's pretty clear we're not really sure if jack loves this woman neither does he his father seems convinced that Jack is really just suffering from inability to let things go. I think that's Christian's wisdom in the moment. And that might be the best advice he has given to his son thus far on the show. That's true. John Terry's great in this episode again. I think I really underrated him on previous watches of this show because I really dislike the episode in which he first appears, White Rabbit. White Rabbit, Which yeah. is all about introducing the idea of him and, and Jack's daddy issues. And I, yeah. I think that episode is mostly a failure yep but he's so good in outlaws and he's so good again here with just a little bit of screen time yeah he really communicates so much fantastic so as jack is trying to save boone's life and i mean taking drastic measures we're talking blood transfusions we're talking i mean he's gonna go so far as to amputate his leg amputate yeah boone's leg yeah like all of these like extreme measures at the same time this is happening again this is where i think the writing is so so well done uh claire goes into labor right so of course that's what's going to happen right now this is the moment where yeah the resources are already strained and so oh wait someone else needs you know medical attention dude when they realized they could thread together Aaron's birth and Boone's death in yes. a single episode, like the whole writer's room was like yeah. high-fiving each yes. other, <laughs> popping bottles. They were like, oh my God. Oh my. 
<laughs> this worked out so well. Oh, boy. And, yeah. And that's the thing. To get into the behind the scenes on this episode a little bit, they did not know until pretty late in the season that they were going to kill Boone. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding is that they didn't make that decision until after they did uh, Hearts and Minds, Boone's flashback episode. And wow. they were like, oh, this character really isn't working. And probably the best thing that we can do for him is kill him in the next story arc right. of the season, essentially. Right. Yeah, they had a like production hiatus after that episode. And when they came back, they let Ian Summerholder know. And Man. they just started writing to his death. To get rid of five. At the Man. at the end of the season, yes. <laughs> Subtracting five from the equation, <laughs> absolutely. But um, yeah, you know, it's a weird thing. Because like, I tend to chafe against using death on a TV show as a way of sort of correcting something not working. I always feel like that's an easy way out. Yeah. But I will, uh, I'll concede in this case that... Boone dying really is the most effective thing that his character can do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you don't feel the tragedy so much of losing Boone as you feel the tragedy of how difficult this is going to be for every other character. You know, that they've survived the trauma of the plane crash and now they're getting thrown back into another really violent, unnatural, traumatic situation. And it just seems unfair. Really, that's that's the thing. You know, this character uh, was so ineffectual, and then they leaned into how hateable he could be. But really, I mean, this was the best thing they could have possibly done with him. For sure. I mean, what else was he going to do at this point? At this point in this show, there's nothing left really for Boone to do. There's no driving internal struggle that he is dealing with. There is nothing, you know, that driving this character. We know that he is in love with his stepsister. That's not going to get, that's not a plot. That's not a character arc. Right. I think they realized that when they put together his flashback episode, they were just like, oh man, he's so unlikable. And if you put in all of that work to rehabilitate him, to give him a redemption arc, what would be the point? Exactly. At the end, what kind of a character would you have? Would you have a character who people really liked? I mean, it's it's hard to imagine. Hard to come back from that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, he ends up being the first major death on Lost. And, uh, you know. What do you mean? Scott Steve was the first one. <laughs> of course. Ah. Dude, come on. How'd you forget? Steve Scott. Not to mention Joanna, of course. Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, that was the first. Joanna. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Oof. R.I.P. Joanna. My God. <laughs> Her beautiful God. forearms. Oh, boy. I forgot about that one. Good job. Yeah. It, it, so, yeah. I mean, what? The episode, it ends with Claire giving birth to baby Aaron. Boone dies, but not before disclosing the fact that there is a hatch out there. And so Jack basically becomes convinced that Locke is responsible for Boone's death. He has to bring the news to Shannon, and then uh, Jack heads off into the jungle in order to find Locke. And that's how the episode ends. Yeah. Did you... I just want to say one thing. Yeah. Just one thing. Mm. Did you ever think to yourself the fact that Jack has the number five tattooed on his shoulder? And I just want to say, what if he had Boone's name tattooed on his shoulder? What if it was just a little further up? Like, he, yeah. he rolls his t-shirt up just a little bit more, yep. and there's... Boone right under it. Mm-hmm. That'd yep. be great. Yep. That'd be great. No explanation. They just drop that and leave it. Ian Summerholder's like, is is he obsessed with me? Like, what is he, he doing? And then he dies. Yeah. And then yeah. he dies. Yep. 
That'd be great. Oh boy. Yeah. Ah, what an episode, man. Uh, again, like lots of little great moments for all the characters. Um, Jin mm-hmm. has a really great moment too, where Charlie wants to go to Claire while she's in labor, while she's giving birth, and Jin just puts a hand on his shoulder and kind of like shakes his head yeah. just a little bit, like you don't, you don't nah, want bro. to go there. You, you, yeah, you're you not going to be any don't do help that, right man. now. <laughs> and it's it's don't so do that, good. my guy. You know, and that's such a weird, the whole involving Jin in this uh, this sequence, it's written strangely, in my opinion, because Jin is a man in his 30s or 40s. He's not stupid, but I feel like that sequence where he sees Claire in labor and he seems kind of like he does not know what's going on, but it, it, I feel like it treats him a little bit like he's dumb. It oversells the language barrier. It oversells. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And it's just kind of like, man, like, no, this guy knows what it looks like when a woman, a nine month pregnant woman is going through labor. He's going to know what's going on. But it's played kind of awkwardly, I I thought. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. It is a nice bit of story architecture they set up, too, that they had Sun just a couple episodes ago revealed as speaking English so that she can be such an active assistant and participant to Jack in this episode. Mm-hmm. And it's a great son episode too. The, the way that it is. she has her arc of trying to help, trying to do no harm. And at a certain point having to like completely separate herself from Jack's mm-hmm. brand of uh, masochistic heroism. Healthcare. Yeah. His, his brand of healthcare. She Jack cannot healthcare. co-sign that past a certain point. No, not at all. And I do like the the moment that Jen has where he comforts Claire. Um, like, again, they don't share a language. They don't share a common language. But he, I think Daniel Day, uh, Daniel Day Kim. I was about to say Daniel Day Lewis. Um, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> it really Daniel is. Day. Just slip that in there. Daniel Day, yeah. But no, that, that, I think it's such a great moment where he is just so comforting and so genuine. Yeah, he just appears very, very, he's very tender in that moment. And I think it works very well. Yeah, and Emily DeRaven's great in the episode. Uh, Evangeline Lilly's great in the episode, too. I, I really like having her character sort of this incredibly hyper-competent person being overwhelmed by this particular situation and yet still getting it done. It's a, a strong pair of episodes, man. Uh, we talked about the writing a bunch. I did want to just shout out the writer of this episode. It was um, uh, Jenna Tomorrow, who... Uh, she only wrote this one episode of Lost. She was a freelance writer, but she started her career as like a news correspondent and crime reporter. And then like went into doing like network shows. She did uh, SVU, CSI, New York, Bones, like a bunch of procedurals. But she did this one episode and then she actually joined the writing staff on season two. And then a few years after that, she created Rizzoli and Isles which is like a gigantic hit. One of TNT's biggest hits ever. I think one of the highest rated cable shows ever. Yeah, and so I guess kind of, you know, taking that procedural expertise that she has, she can write like the medical drama side of things really well. And she can also do a pretty interesting nuanced story of uh, a guy like not sure if he wants to get married. So uh, it's a pretty impressive episode from both perspectives, I thought. Absolutely. Do you think Jack knows too much? Like, do you think Jack has too much medical knowledge? I did think this, like watching these two episodes, I was like, wow, he just diagnosed farsightedness. He's going to, you know, amputate a man's leg. He knows how to do what a spinal surgery. 
He performed a blood transfusion, and he knows how to deliver a baby. What is he? Is he? In, he's a spinal surgeon. Yeah. So he's he's one of these specialists, and uh, you know, uh, my dad is a, a a specialist doctor as well. And the impression I've actually always gotten about these guys is that so many of them within the context of the American hospital system that these guys are sort of like rock stars where they like mm. are not part of the day-to-day diagnosing and treating of people they more sort of come in to do one very specialized big budget high paying sort of uh maneuver you know and <laughs> mm-hmm. and then they're out and they're so yeah. knowledgeable about that one particular thing uh, i mean my dad is actually has an incredible breadth of medical knowledge uh, but he always like sort of in a self-effacing way is like oh yeah you know i'm like an inch wide and a mile deep is the way that he puts it you know gotcha okay so yeah as a specialist it does seem a little wonky i mean in this episode he's acting as a triage nurse and an er doctor an orthopedic surgeon he's wearing a lot of hats and then yeah you throw on the Mm -hmm. optometry too yeah it's it's a lot and i don't know i mean it, it is a lot it speaks to his character well i guess in that he's this guy who cannot let anything go who has to like know more than everybody else and be the expert in all situations. I mean, the whole thing with Boone's crush injuries versus a fall injury, I think is not especially it, it doesn't it doesn't really stand up to scrutiny, I think, in terms of like, oh, Jack, you know, would immediately be like, well, I didn't get the right like diagnosis, so this guy was murdered. Right. And <laughs> right. it's like well, luck arguably had a lot to do with Boone's death, yes, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think that shy of having like an MRI machine on the island, Jack right, really could have right. done much more for this kid. Yeah. Yeah. He oh. showed up with like massive internal trauma. There's not anything you can really do with like bamboo and bandages, man. Any thoughts on these two episodes? Yeah. Anything that we haven't quite covered yet? <sighs> yeah. I, I just, uh, like you're saying, I, it it feels like the show is really hit its stride and uh you know maybe it was just that excitement of oh man we're getting boone off of our schedule and uh we're just we're so relieved you know and that was the wind at their backs was just knowing they didn't yes. have to deal with writing more boone episodes <laughs> all You're apologies right. to, to mr summerholder i can't help but think about this show and i think i texted you this uh last night which is i can't help but think about it in contrast to yellow jackets oh we'll get back to that let's do let's do a whole corner on that show when we get to are you current dude are you current yeah Yeah. i don't yeah i can't say anything more you've only seen the first two episodes right i've seen the first three i've seen the first three Yeah. yeah yeah you're in it now by the time that this comes out i will definitely have seen all of it i will assume i have seen all of Yellow Jackets by the end of this week. I'll say this. That show is awesome, and it builds on Lost in a bunch of interesting ways. It also made me appreciate a bunch of Lost strengths. Even sure. More, though. Mm-hmm. I will say, by the end mm-hmm. of the season. And okay. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get into it. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the whole season. Oh, yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, I am digging every little bit of this show right now. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Oof. Is it time for, is it time for Name That Episode? Let's do it, man. Let's get right. on to it. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, here we go. They're all going to have a theme today. Okay. We've got a theme going on here. Yeah. (laughs) So in this season three episode of Arrested Development, Michael falls in love with a British woman named Rita. I think that's played by um, Charlize Theron. Of course. 
um, and this like is wild. I feel like people call her Theron, but it, it is Theron. Yeah. I, is it? I, I think it is. Listeners, yeah. we need your input. It's so much more elegant, though. God, Theron. All right. Ooh, mm, man. Whatever. Get out of here. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Just feel so, a tingly. <laughs> anyway, so he falls in love with a British woman named Rita while investigating a claim by George Sr. that a British construction firm tricked him into doing business in Iraq. <laughs> is this the episode Mr. F? No. Fuck. No. Uh, but it is, yeah, I, I know why you went there. Right around yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. MRF. Yeah. Oh, God. A great reveal. A oh, great reveal. Boy. Is this the episode with Little Britain in it? Mm, is, is there is there see. just an episode called Little Britain? Episode called Little Britain. But it's not Mr. F. No, it's mm. not. Mm-hmm. Mr. F is in the same season. Yeah, it's two it's episodes. Right it's three episodes later. Is it uh, for British eyes only? Bingo. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. All right. On to uh, number two. All right, here nice, we go. Nice. When Michael Scott drops a racial slur while doing a Chris Rock routine, oh, corporate right. sends in a consultant to address diversity at Dunder Mifflin Scranton. Oh, man. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Um, this is the episode where everybody ends up having a piece of paper, like, yes. mm-hmm. taped to them with their ethnicity on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is such a great uncomfortable scene. Not problematic at all. I mean, interrogating that, I think. Uh, I love when, is it Kevin who keeps going to Angela? Like, yes. Do you want to get high, Mom? Right. Right. She's like, no, no, I don't want to get high. And he's like, I think you do. It's a great, it's a great bit. Uh, Is this the uh, episode sexual harassment? Is that also in this episode? No. 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 Ah. Is it called like diversity training? Ooh, so close. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah. Like diversity workshop. No. I'm right or is diversity in the title? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just diversity day? Yep. Yeah. There you go. Nice. Yep. Hell yeah. All right. (laughs) Struggled to that one. Struggled to that one, my man. Mm -hmm. What are you gonna do? Oh gosh. We got a third one. Yep, we got a third one here. All right, so this two-part episode of Seinfeld garnered an Emmy nom for Judge Reinhold, during which George tries to escape a commitment to the Big Brother program. (laughs) Jerry gets caught making out during a theatrical showing of Schindler's List, and Morty tries to sell a box of newly designed products. Oh, damn. What season is this? Is this season six? Um, let's see here. Because I'm in the middle of a Seinfeld rewatch right now, but I, I don't are. believe I, I've not gotten to this episode yet. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see. You just got a little ahead of me. This is the this is the fifth season. The fifth season. Fuck. Ah mm-hmm. oh, man. Um. Hmm. 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 Are the products that that Morty has? Are those uh the title of the episode? Yes. Yes, god damn it, of course they are. Mm, 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 mm. <sighs> Fuck, man. I'm trying to remember. Judge Reinhold got a friggin' like, Emmy nomination for this? Yeah, he did. That's mm-hmm. wild. Guest actor in a comedy series. <laughs> I didn't know he, uh, he had some noms, man. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> he potentially yeah. had some hardware. <laughs> uh, 
any any hint about what it is about what the product the item is um i think oh boy um any hint i mean you know how my hints are they're very elliptical they you're are. not gonna like any hint that i give you they're all those reverse hints they, <laughs> they put you further into the weeds they do oh man strategic hints in that yeah mm-hmm. hmm. two words reference to the product oh uh i feel like are they umbrellas close that's, that's what morty sells mm-hmm. he's an umbrella salesman it's close yeah you're close close mm-hmm. oh are they raincoats there you go the raincoats. Yes! Yeah. oh mm-hmm. good job man Whew. crushed it that's right that's right yeah because like Elaine ends up selling raincoats later for like Jay Peterman, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. so. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, season four is fucking incredible. Going through it again, like it's insane how hot that show was. Just that like every oh, yeah. single episode was just on fire. Just on fire. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 It's one of those where I'm watching it and I'm like, there is no question in my mind that this is a goat season, but how Ooh. would we ever talk about it? You yeah. know? Yeah. Because uh, it's no just way like, to. the technique is almost invisible. It's incredible how it just, they generate these stories out of like the most minor of awkward social situations and like missed social cues it's all such minutia and it's like how are they just generating this and it all just comes down to uh larry david being a yes interminable well of yes. outrage and also humiliation yes clearly uh and misanthropy oh so much so much yeah anyway yeah dude this was awesome man thank you for making the time knock this one out yeah Can't man wait to get into the last few episodes of this season uh feel free to email us questions at goatseasonpod at gmail.com and also hit us up on our instagram at goatseasonpod i want to thank janice o'leary for our artwork josh sullivan for our intro music and battlequake for our outro and we will be back next week with the greater good and born to run peace peace Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.